The universe is ending. The sky is falling and all that you know and love will soon evaporate into thin air. Sorry about that. But never fear, in the next nondescript number of minutes, we will be talking about the most important thing that a person could hear when the universe is ending. Books. Welcome to the podcast at the end of the universe. Hi everybody, we are back here once again. And uh, this week we're going to be wrapping up our discussion that we started the last time the Time Vortex opened. Uh, we, so that is Broken Monsters by Lauren Bukas and The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. Yep. Um, did you want to do just a brief synopsis on the books again, just in case? Sure. I thought we would introduce ourselves. Oh, okay. Everyone knows me. Everyone knows you, but to help differentiate those of us with similar sounding voices. We're trying. <laughs> I am Way. And I'm Millie. And I'm Slotty Barfast. Yeah, we know. <laughs> um, okay, so Broken Monsters. Um, episodic crime noir takes place in Detroit. Some fucked up people doing some fucked up things. I feel like that's all the synopsis it needs quite frankly, because we're about to talk about all the fucked up shit that they do. Amen. Indeed. And uh, Long Way to Small and Great Planet, the also very episodic yeah. uh, adventure or more journey of the, the crew of the, the spaceship Wayfarer as they go about their jobs and lives and the interesting things that happen along the way. Yep. Um, so I feel like we should start with Broken Monsters. Um... Let's do. Simply because I feel like due to the discussion on both these books, we'll have less to say about Broken Monsters. Not because it's a bad book. I actually really enjoyed this one. I enjoyed both of them for a multitude of reasons. I liked most of the female characters in this book. I only had a couple of problems with a couple of them, and they were like minor and short-lived. The Gen Q character kind of bothers me. Mostly because why would someone that cool hang out with Jono? Amen. <laughs> I did not get that in the whole thing. I was just like, why? She was Gen bored. Gen Q, you are so much cooler and better and hotter yeah, and she's... more interesting. You, what? Like, you haven't met this guy a dozen times already and blown right, him off? Right, um, Like, I get it. Get it wet and then send him home. Right. And then, like, the, the part that really killed me for that was towards the end when she's, like, freaking out. And she's like, my blood sugar's low. I need to eat something. And he's like, just keep filming. Fuck you, man. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so Broken Monsters. So we have a couple of characters. Um, we've got TK, who turns into our homeless hero. We have Layla, um, who's an angsty teenage girl. We've got uh, Layla's mother, Gabriella. Yes. Yeah, Gabriella, uh, who's a cop and has several cop friends. We have Clayton, who's uh, our psycho killer. Guess I say. We have Jono, who's the douchebag. And then we have a couple of new ones. Uh, we have Jen, of course. Um, and Ramon and Diana, but they're yeah. more peripheral characters. And, and Cass. Oh, and even Cass. though Cass doesn't get her own perspective, I think right? you're missing the the best character. I'm get. Even though Cass doesn't have her own <laughs> chapters, I still feel like she was um, a main character. Same with Sparkles. Thank you. Um, Sparkles, even though Sparkles doesn't get his own chapter, 
right? He's always like on the sidelines of someone else's. I did feel that Sparkles was the main character. Um, so, okay, so we've got Layla and Gabriella living together in their tumultuous relationship. Um, Layla thinks Gabriella is annoying. She thinks she doesn't care about her. She wants to live with her dad, but her dad's traded her off for some step sibs and a new wife and moved to Georgia? Florida? Florida. No, Gabriella's parents live in Florida. I thought mm. that her dad lived in Atlanta. Yeah, that, Atlanta yeah. sounds right. Yes. Um, and then her best friend, Cass, who is your standard pretty white girl in a school full of black children. So she stands out. And Layla, like through the beginning of the book, really struggles with why Cass wants to be friends with her. Because um, Cass is so outgoing and perfect and pretty and doesn't give a fuck kind of thing. I think that's also a theme of Layla, another highlighting some of that awkward teenage moments where she's, you know, she's nerdy, she has a crush on, you know, a guy that who's older and artsy and she wants to smoke pot and hang out at the skateboarding park to be cool with him and, you know, hopefully he'll like her even though she's, you know, bookish. And yeah, she spends a lot of her time, like, thinking she's not good enough, which I think is a pretty accurate portrayal of an American teenage girl. Um, so we have them, uh, and we've got Gabriella discovering this gruesome crime scene where Sparkles gets his nickname because she proffers a tube of lip gloss to him, and he gives himself a mustache made of glitter. And then all of that seems pretty fine and normal. And then we meet Clayton for the first time. Because TK, like, going through the house, that was kind of weird. I thought mm-hmm. TK was going to be the bad guy. To be totally honest, like the first time, because he seemed so meek, but he also had the knife in his walking stick. Yeah. He had the, the mace and the pepper spray, clearly lived this hard life. Like, I, I really thought it was going to be TK. Um, but then we get introduced to Clayton, and Clayton just wants to see his kid. He yeah. just wants to see his kid, and then he, so he's chasing this woman that he had yeah. a couple of nights with who used to be a waitress, or maybe they live together. He's kind of wishy washy on that point. Like, Clayton feels like they live together, but when he confronts the woman about it, she's like, it was just a couple of nights. Yeah. And the kid is is not his. Yeah, getting into that story, I was so drawn to Clayton in in that very first chapter where we're introduced to him. I was like, oh, God, he just wants to see his son, and it was, you know, heart-rending. And then you get more of a coherent story. You get a more reliable narrator in there, and it's like, oh, God. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and, even, and he's talking about um, as he's as the, the as he's driving around looking for her. He's talking about um, seeing the things on the road mm-hmm. and how the dream comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, I just thought that maybe he was like a long haul trucker or something. Like that's the impression that I got because they're talking about his truck. My initial picture wasn't a pickup truck. It was a, uh, like a. a mm-hmm. A big rig, a Mack truck. So I'm thinking he's used to it being a long haul trucker, like getting super tired and seeing shit in the road. Like that's what I honestly thought he was talking about until he starts chasing her. Yeah. Until she takes off and he starts chasing her. And he's talking about things grabbing onto his truck mm-hmm. and like hitting the windshield and all this crazy talk. Oh man, he. Ugh. It was Clayton, really well done. It was so well done. But Clayton legitimately freaked me out. Like he gave me the EBGBs. Oh, absolutely. Be, just because when he, in his moments of lucidity, when the dream wasn't in him, he was a totally a person I would hang out with, right? Yeah. He's like s- s- 
slow to speak, kind of introverted, and he gets his words messed up in his head a lot. Um, and I, I identify with that so well that I'm just like, yes, artsy person, let's come play with clay together. It's okay if you don't talk. Right? <laughs> Yay! Um, we'll have a parallel experience together. But yeah, but then, you know, he's just, who is he nuts? <laughs> he's just a little. Just, I mean, I don't want to be baked in a kiln. Right. And that was a friend. I was a friend of Clayton. Right. Not a friend of the dreams. But I will mention that during that scene, what I really liked about it was that he, because the one thing, the dream does make some terrible, awful things and does some terrible, terrible things. But he also creates really beautiful things. And I feel like that was Clayton coming through Mm -hmm. when he's talking to the woman at the shop and he puts his hands on the painted ceramic tiles of the flowers. And the dream is going to kill this woman. But Clayton is making the flowers come. Right. I felt that very strongly, that mm. kind of duality of this like horrible, gruesome act. Like, I'm going to fucking wrap you in clay and bake you at a thousand million degrees until there's nothing left except the melted fillings on the bottom of the kiln, right? Versus the... Thank you I'm for gonna... making eye contact with me while you say that so emphatically. Welcome. It wasn't creepy at all. No, of course. To the, like contrast of I'm going to make day lilies appear. Right. But as soon as Clayton, as Clayton's touch leaves and the dream takes over to do his gruesome task, that's when the flowers die. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that little nuance. <laughs> um, what was your favorite character? My favorite character? I, I absolutely latched onto Layla that it gave me so much sympathy for the modern teenager that, you know, I've got, being, you know, time travelers, we have our feet in different generations. What she meant to say was older. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I, you know, to a degree grew up with the internet. I was, you know, in AOL chat rooms and we, we chatted with each other, but I didn't have to... It was not part of my life to worry that somebody is going to take a video of me and show it to the entire school in the matter of minutes. Sure, we could have taken a video tape of each other (laughs) and then somehow broadcast it over the PA system to the entire school, but nothing like what is out there now. And with the anti-bullying rules in schools that frequently turn back on people who are bullied it's just everybody has to walk such a fine line and it's a terrifying I mean high school and middle school are bad enough as it is and then to put all of these new angles on everything um, I mean granted they probably should not have been baiting pedophiles that seems excessively <laughs> dangerous but you know kids Kids are going to do crazy shit, and we all did crazy things growing up. We just, I mean, throwing rocks at trains is not the same caliber as uh, getting, going, hunting somebody down and confronting them (laughs) with a gun. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, uh, Cass's story and the entire uprooting of her family because she was sexually assaulted and humiliated and they uprooted and left. I, that just, that is so real and horrifying that that's part of our, our real life. 
that that's a nightmare that somebody has to live through. Talk about a dream. That, yeah, to be so young and to have to go through something that crappy. That sucks. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scary because that is, out of this entire book, is probably the most realistic thing out of the whole thing. You know, there's nothing about that that's rooted in fiction. Fiction. It yeah. is real. It is a reality that exists where everything else in the book is yeah, up in the air. But that's scary out of a book that, you know, that is the most realistic thing and it's probably the scariest thing in the whole book. No, totally. Because you can detach yourself from police crime scene investigations and creepy weird murder sculptures <laughs> murder <laughs> art can, yeah you can detach yourself from a lot of that you can even detach yourself from Jono's narcissism um, but it's, it's difficult at least especially for I think uh, females who have all experienced that I'm in high school I just doesn't matter how pretty or lovely or awesome or rich or popular I am I'm always going to be insecure about myself because that's the nature of the world that we live in fortunately um that's the most easy for me and you to latch onto, and it it is horrifying that that's real, and it is real, and I think that I agree with you. That was the scariest part of this entire book, wasn't the the dream coming through and the doors and pink chalk and crows flying out of people's chests. It was it was that your entire life could be ruined to the point where you have to uproot your entire family and basically join witness protection because of 20 minutes of bad decisions. Yeah. I I mean, I could have made a mistake. How many kids try alcohol for the first time in high school and get drunk because they don't know what they're dealing with or whatever, or they want to try it. Right. And that should be a rite of passage that everybody goes through and, you know, to a to a degree. There's always extremes, but there should be some kind of experimentation as we grow up. And the idea that everything has the possibility of being broadcast, that all of your vulnerable moments, all of your first times, your mistakes, your, oh, let's just try this once, it's, you no longer have that privacy. And I like that the theme of doors comes up in the dream and that that is such a prevalent theme throughout the book. I really wanted more. There's something to be more about the the doors, though. There, there was only the one chalk door that ended up really turning into more, which is right at the end. I I wanted to see something more because there was really just the two doors. There was that that one that allowed them to get into the building, and there was the the one in poor sparkles. Um, <laughs> the sparkle door. I, I liked the motif. I just wish that there had been something more with it. I, and I feel like that about a few things in this book that were kind of started but then kind of just moved away from without fully realizing them. I get that. Um, I also feel like the doors, though, were shouldn't have gone further than that because he didn't bring anything to life before Sparkles. He didn't complete what he was trying to do, right, before Sparkles. So he's drawing these doors, hoping that his projects are completed and he can open them, but he, he can't until that moment. Yeah, thankfully okay. those doors did not open. None of those doors came to fruition. Could have made for a very interesting book. <laughs> or, or a sequel, but thankfully the doors did not. Doors. I, I was grateful. Yeah, so can we talk about TK for a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I... Like, TK, I love they call him the homeless hero, 
I love that he wasn't like, it would have been a really easy out to call him a savior or a messiah or make that kind of like, right? Because here's this altruistic person who's lived a pauper's life in these horrible situations and been condemned and thrown in jail and drunk and he's now sober and he's helping other people get out of homelessness, get out of addiction he's feeding people his main concern is always like when he goes in to take out things for houses right these people get foreclosed upon he's going to salvage his first thought is like how can i use this at the church how can like this help somebody else and even when his friend what's his friend's name ramon ramon comes by like tk really wants those sneakers yeah, he does. but he gives them to ramon because he sees that Ramon needs them more than he wants them. Right. And he ultimately saves the day. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, that whole last scene was just like, I was like, <sighs> like, I, I think I was audibly panting <laughs> while I was reading that book. And my roommate was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, but I will be in 15 pages. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, it elicited a physical response. The ending of this book, that whole scene in the warehouse mm-hmm. um, really was like oh, I had yeah. heart palpitations the whole time it was oh. very fast moving I've always had an issue I have really vivid dreams so I have issues between uh, telling reality from fiction sometimes so this was exactly the best kind of psychological thriller for me where it's like oh is that real or isn't it real? Real or not real? Ah! So the, the end scene, really, I was right there with you with the heart palpitations and the sweaty palms. Just, oh my god, is that, oh, it's a pedophile guy and he's all bloated and gross and, oh, the machines are going to get her. No, go, girl, go, 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 go! Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, the pedophile being embodied in the wax man. Oh my god, That was really cool. Because you're seeing it as, as Clayton is meant is meaning people to see it through Layla's eyes Mm -hmm. and you're seeing it as we see it here through Gabriella's eyes. Mm -hmm. So she's walking through and it's like this grotesque wax man, right? And Layla is seeing, okay, there, okay. I do have to say this really fast. Can I, um, see our physical manifest here? Um, so when Layla's walking through and she's at the point where she sees the pedophile Philip, think Billy um she um he's like showing her things on the monitors right it was all really grotesque so he was uh demeaning her it's, it, he was being a, a troll in a chat like a lot of the yeah, stuff that he was exactly, saying he was trolling exactly um but the the one that I like I, <laughs> I was dying because it was hysterical and also awful at the same time because all I could think of, I started, I actually laughed out loud as he shows her, um, shows her like a bunch of screens, mm-hmm. right? And it's like penises, but like Laura Bugis writes the word penis like 15 times. Oh, and it really almost, it almost killed the mood for me. Nice. I was like laughing so hard about the fact that she said penis 15 times. Well, again, just since you mentioned her language taking you out of the book for a moment, uh, to touch on one of the things that Slardy said last time about her being South African and messing up the Jono versus Johnny uh, differentiation, or if that just needs to be a translation tweak, uh, she said that the cars swerve on page 376. 
uh, cars swerving around them, hooting their outrage. And thanks to Trevor Noah, I know that South Africans call honking or beeping hooting. Hoot hoot. So, uh, so a little that, bit of it flowed through. Yeah, so oops. I, I don't know if there needs to be a, a continuity person on that, if anybody else cares. But I, I was immediately brought out like, hooting? What are they? Oh, because she's South Africa. I got it. <laughs> I, hey, she means honking. <laughs> so, um, so my favorite character mm-hmm. was Nyan Cat. Yes, yes, of course. Oh, I was just about to say that. I was horrified the entire time that any of this is happening because where's Nyan Cat while Layla's in the dream and then... Yeah, and cat saves the day. I was so stressed to, 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 to like, because she, she saw the, the cat carrier. Yes. There's no cat in it. Yeah. After she'd crashed through the wall. And I was like, no, no, I don't care about anyone else. Right. We know. How's Nyan Cat doing? And Nyan Cat. It was the dog in the passage, and now it's Nyan Cat. Sorry that animals are, make for better people than people. <laughs> I, so that was another one of my real, not real moments where I. I reckon I was there with her in the the weird dreamy fugue head concussion state of I have the cat everything's okay that's the only important thing oh but I'm really just holding a carrier and it's empty wait where's the cat I thought I'm oh oh my gosh ah uh, so yeah that I was right there with you with yeah oh yeah the she's uh, Are you still looking the, for penises? The pet carrier to her chest is dark and she trips on the uneven floor. Blood pours down the side of her face. She's tried to feel the wound on her temple, but even brushing her fingers against it threatens to bring the darkness swarming up again. If she stands still, the blood runs down her arm and drip, drip, drips onto the floor. It freaks her out, so she keeps moving. Even though she doesn't know where she's going, story of her life, she thinks and chokes down a sob. If she starts crying again, she won't be able to stop. And then she's like, I'm, I'm a girl protecting my cat. Never mind that. The door is wide open and Yan Cat is not inside. She's on a quest to find her cat then. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) She's like looking at it like it's a, like a, um, like a video game. Yeah. Right? Achievement unlocked. For penises. So, I mean, so while you continue your quest for penises. (laughs) uh, So, Jono. I hated that Gen Q died. And that Jono the dick survived, but I can... Thinking about it, I know why. I mean, it had, had to happen, because she would have stopped him. Mm-hmm. And that was not what the dream wanted. She would have stopped Jono somehow. She would have taken the phone or whatever. She, she probably wouldn't have talked sense into him, but she would have stopped him. Mm-hmm. And so she had to die for it to progress and get to that end point. Which is horrible, because he was a dick, and I did not like him. Well, she also did all the real work. She found, she made all of the connections, she made the physical things. She, yeah, she did all the work. And there were already signs that he was going to drop her. Oh, yeah. Because he was, like, talking with other... I will get a real producer, a real editor, a real videographer, was what he kept and saying. And then the whole story, his whole backstory with Kate... Like, it makes him more human, but so much more hateable. And I was so happy that she got away. Like, yeah, Kate, go run. Run, go run. Yeah, I felt like that was, like, an attempt to make us sympathize with him. Mm -hmm. Like, it was like... It didn't work. No, it didn't work at all. Yeah. I was just... I was so grossed out. Oh, yeah. I did not enjoy that at all. I found the penises, by the way. Do you want to tell us all about the penises? I mean, kind of. Uh, Let's see. Penis, penis, penis. 
uh, lost your car, lost your pussycat, lost your marbles. At least I only lost my wallet and my heart. Have you seen it? He pats himself down as if looking for his keys in a forgotten pocket. Oh, there it is. He points at the screens, which are now showing penises. An infinite variety of penises, except for one screen where a teenage girl is lying on damp grass, kissing a boy who has his hand under her dress. Can we also talk about that? Cass, the infinite tease, slutty type girl being a virgin mm-hmm. and Layla not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, it's a social construct anyway. But I was still pretty, like, I thought that was infinitely cool of her to, like, make it no big deal for Layla, but a huge deal for Cass. Oh, yeah. And granted, Cass has been sexually assaulted, and so there's that to contend with mm-hmm. also, but even prior to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked that. You know, kind of a surprise. Hey, Layla's Layla's got a past, and it was a really sweet, cute way of ha- like of all the first sexual encounters in the world. That was real nice. It was real nice. I mean, he still took off, but yeah, boys boys are a little flighty sometimes. Fourteen <laughs> year old boys are how how old are they? Yeah, I think fourteen. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's a big question for this book. Considering we are a a sci-fi and fantasy book club that is our yeah. bread and butter does this book qualify Ugh. I mean this is a book that I, I, I'm glad that I read and I've read her work before and I would read her work again but was it within do, does it meet your wanting or definition of fantasy fair um, mm-hmm. it was fantastical it has mm. It has some pretty basic, I feel, fantasy-style character arcs where person, I'm a normal person, this is fine, oh, all of the shit is going down, I've discovered I have this massive ability, I fix the problem, except the massive ability in this particular context was like self-confidence and self-awareness, which is cool, but I also feel like because it was set in Detroit, it was a really difficult thing to make fantasy like a fantasy book as far as that could be as being in literally the most depressing city in the nation could be a fantasy story it was i like the definition of paranormal crime noir i really enjoyed Mm -hmm. that i felt that that was very accurate is all paranormal fantasy or is only some fantasy paranormal right like uh i wouldn't call there's a lot of paranormal stuff that I wouldn't call fantasy necessarily. Um, but there's also a lot that I would. So is this more paranormal and less fantasy? More crime noir and less fantasy? More serial killer? Less fantasy? Or is it all of those things with fantasy sprinkled on top? Would I shelve it in fantasy if I was working in a bookstore? Probably not. It would probably go in general fiction, to be truly honest. Same. Yeah, that's where I was kind of taking it as well. That would I have classified it as fantasy? No. Does that is that the first flavor that hits you? No. But I also great book. Loved it. Enjoyed reading it. We'll read more of her. Um, can I see how it can be spun as fantasy or taken as fantasy? Absolutely. I think that's totally valid. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I agree with you that yeah, this really if there's anything that walks the line. This one really walks the line on Absolutely. that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's kind of how I try to, uh, like, in when someone asks me the genre of a book, I'm like, okay, if 
I was a Barnes and Noble employee, where Bingo. would I put this book? And I would actually, honestly, I would probably put this book in YA. Me too. Oh, I'm so Even glad you said that. It has that. some really adult themes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read YA books that were more explicit than this one, and because the main character is so young, mm-hmm. uh, or the two of the protagonists, I feel, are so young, um, I would totally put this in YA. And if not in YA, then somewhere close by. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I feel like this is in between. Fiction and YA, like somewhere in between. Okay, you're an adult enough to handle sexual assault and murder and all kinds of crazy stuff, but you're not quite at Shakespeare. <laughs> somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, Chuck Palahniuk it is not. I, I don't know if I'd put it in like teen, or like what they call YA now. Like when I remember being young and going to libraries which had young adult sections that were not what. Today, would people would call YA? They, by young adult, they meant for like twenty-year-olds. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the sort of area I'd probably shelve it. And I would go for like a horror thriller mystery yeah. rather than like those for me were the bigger elements of the book than the fantasy elements. And I would shelve it as that. You um, would. He's yes, I disagree. Would. <laughs> that's all right. We. That's what makes this such a rich tapestry of a podcast. <laughs> Very true, very true. No, I can agree that we all enjoyed it. Overall feelings on the the ending of the book? How did you feel about it? I did, as as much as I really enjoyed all of the, like, epilogue type stuff Mm -hmm. that happens after they do away with Clayton and his monsters, I did feel like, oh my god, is it ever going to end? Yeah, it wasn't satisfying. No, like, I I wanted all of that information. Yes. But I feel like it should have been, instead of just having the book go on and on and on and on and on and on and on, and epilogue, not endilogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was right there with you. But that, now that we're talking about it and articulating that right now, it makes me think, well, that's kind of like what it is now, that you wouldn't have. Like, no news stories are ever wrapped up succinctly. Because yeah. then you have your Reddit posts. Then you have, you know, the leaking of the emails and so it there's a trickling on that you know we're gonna get a little bit more like it, you don't have a nice hard fast stop to things it's it's there all of our edges are blurred now mm-hmm. okay. would you want to see a sequel i mean it kind of left things kind of open i don't i yeah. don't think i'd want to read a sequel i think it would be too similar because you know the I don't well, know whether the dream learns, but I feel like a sequel would be pretty much the same sort of thing of maybe just more people who would be doing it at the same time rather than just Clayton because it's been spread via the internet. But I don't think I'd want to read it. I think that they've done enough to Layla. <laughs> I don't want to see a sequel if just to spare her fucking feelings. Yeah. Like, well, I don't think I they'd think... use the same characters because, you know, the, at the end, Jono has broadcast it so it could potentially oh. have spread to other cities and locations. How nice was him getting ripped apart at the end, though? That was really nice. I like that. That was super nice. I just couldn't... Um, I, I wouldn't want to read a sequel, I don't think. I, no. I felt it was enough as it was. This is yeah. really good. Yeah, It was good. And it was a good one-off. It's not often that I, I find a book that's not in a series that I'm like, yeah! Um, but I was really like that with this book. I, I really enjoyed it, and I felt that it wrapped up pretty well. I mean, there were some loose plot points that they just never did anything with. We were talking earlier, and Slotty, you said something about... Um, the teeth. The teeth. The teeth, yeah. The boy that Layla 
beats the ever-loving oh, piglets much, out of. How much did I love yeah, that? Yeah, Oh, that felt so good. It did. I also was like, the whole time I'm like reading it, and I'm like, yes, justice! And then I'm like, oh, you're so screwed, though. <laughs> <laughs> you're so screwed. Yeah, and then finding out that his family is influential and affluent, it's like, oh, fuck. But, like, can we talk about the hospital scene, though? Because, like, his parents walked in there, and I was like, where the fuck did you come from? Are you from Downton Abbey? <laughs> like, it was like, they just walked in there like, oh, yes, well, we'll, we'll make sure that... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I was really incensed by their behavior, actually. But you can see it. Like, oh, yeah. that is so real. That right. was dead on. But at the same time, you live in fucking Detroit. Mm-hmm. Clearly, if you were that affluent, you'd have fucking moved. Affluent. Detroit affluence means that you make, like, $13 an hour. Like, well, I liked <laughs> that they discussed um, the different regions where people lived and why there were pockets of... Uh, like where very different socioeconomic status people were living so close to each other and that felt very real that these things can happen and yeah so they're you know this kid's still in public school but he's the his family is doing so much better than a lot of his classmates families yeah that's true and he's a little shit such a shit Okay, so I think we uh, can wrap up Broken Monsters. Yeah, overall, I really enjoyed it. I I'll, I'll read more of her. I don't. I wouldn't read any more of this universe, though. Yeah, good job. Yeah, keep it there. Well done. Uh, oh, let's, uh, long way. Do oh it. my. <laughs> um. Oh, and this is a spoilers episode, and we forgot to say in the very beginning. Oh, yeah, so if you haven't read Broken Monsters... Um, That's the giggle. We just spoiled it for you. So, um, our bad. Sorry, this is our spoiler episode. And everything from, you know, a, a little while ago and continuing on now is going to spoil these books for you. So, hey, if you haven't read The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers... Um, you you want to stop listening now, oh, and we're so sorry that we didn't say this sooner. Oh, okay. So when you said bye, Becky Chambers, all I could think of was that you said the wrong artist because I thought you were saying goodbye to Lauren Bucus. Oh, like no. Bye. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> wow. What, um, what is in our tea? Bear hair. Gross. There's bear hair in my. Well, water. that is that's an excellent. I, I that'll that's good tea then. Okay. I'm, I'm literally drinking bear hair tea. It was supposed to just be water. Why is this my life? Okay. So, long way to a small angry planet. Spoilers for this book Good will Lord. ensue. I had to remove myself from the comments on this particular book. I was like, wow, guys, okay. Um, I really enjoyed this book. Me too. I really did. I described it earlier tonight as a cotton ball wrapped bullet um, because while it is kind of like light and fun and airy and a fun read, like I had a really good time reading this mm-hmm. book, um, it does pack a punch when it comes to 
a lot social of issues. structures, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mostly social structures. Um, it doesn't even really touch on the economics of things. Like, no one ever struggles about, like, buying things. Like, when they're in Spaceport, Kizzy's like, and I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that, and I want the soap, and all of the things. And she doesn't really ever stress about it, even though she's like, oh, now I'm not going to be able to do this later because I spent 800 credits on soap. Um, well, they do kind of touch on that when they touch on, um, like, different socioeconomic stuff where it's, you know, like, Jenks being raised by his mother and her decision not to um, tweak him genetically and uh, the different uh, moons and planets that have been terraformed and they're living with those big bugs. Like, you get a different feel when you walk into certain places. So it is... True. It's there. It's not one of the major things. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, okay. Ashby never seems actively worried about money. Mm-hmm. Right? Rosemary never seems actively worried about money, though that's for her completely... Like, except the very beginning, when she says, when she's in her pod, and she's like, oh, I've used up all my credits um, to, to be Rosemary. Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but like, I never felt like anyone else was ever really truly concerned about their money. Um, and which is cool to have a book that takes a break from the eh, poor, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, which is a huge break from Broken Monsters. Yes. Where everyone's horribly destitute. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, it was a nice break to not have everyone complaining about how they're going to eat later. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does hit on those social structures. And of course, I have very strong opinions about social structures, so I'm going to try to not be what everyone's accused Becky Chambers of being, just preachy. So why don't you take that away from me way before I get into it. So oh, that's... Here. So I've, Here you go. <laughs> uh, I will also do my best not to... to come across as preachy but I, I agree with you on a lot of these points that the, these came up and these were really cool and I, I liked that I liked the way that she handled them I liked how she presented um, sentient beings of all walks and talks and existence that we can now think of things from a non-human centric way I really really enjoyed the perspective uh, I've talked about it before where I like to thank inanimate objects that do things for me, like the elevator or the microwave, because uh, of a folk tale that I heard when I was little about these things coming to life and harming the people that were using them uh, as kind of a morality tale to uh, not take anything for granted. Uh, and I, so when they came up with the whole AI and Lovelace and Lovey, uh, yes, I absolutely loved that Ashby had that change of heart, that he saw AI differently and treated AI differently over the course of this book, that by the end, he was a changed person. And I really, um, I know that there was a lot of discussion in the panels about this, and I wanted to open that one on up. Um, Slarty. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I wish the book had delved into it a bit more. Um, I mean, I understand the book tried to make no one the main character. There, there was no main character at all. It was, we got a little bit of each one has their own little plot or a little story arc that doesn't take over the whole book. So I guess that, you know, Lovey was kind of mixed in between all of that and there were little parts of it. I wish they had gone into it further, which hopefully the next book in the the series or universe um, will 
dive into further. Um, but what was the true nature of how these AIs were treated? Was the, did the crew, apart from Jenks, treat her in a way that they should, probably should have treated her better? Like a full member of the crew. Correct. Should, should she have been treated like that? And from the start, not only when something happens to make her no longer be there. You know, is, is it only miss it when it's gone sort of thing? Should we... I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about that because, and, and apparently so does everybody else. So yes, I mean, totally. I, of course I want Lovey to be a person. Lovey is a person, but I don't agree that she was never treated like a person until the end. I don't agree with that at all. Like zero, because even when Rosemary first gets on the Wayfair, Lovey's like, hi, my name's Lovely. I go by Lovey. You can call me that because everyone does. And Rosemary's kind of taken aback because she's never interacted with an AI like that before. And by the time she's done being decontaminated, she's like, oh, Lovey, my friend. Right? Exactly. Like, and Sissix is like that. Um, the only one that I can't remember ever interacting with Lovey very much was Dr. Chef. And, of course, oh, our, favorite, our favorite jerk face, Corbin. Uh, yeah, but even oh. Corbin does interact with Lovey. Just not frequently. Like, he, I think maybe twice in the book he interacts with her. And he's a curt asshole, but that has nothing to do with the fact that she's an AI. That right. has to do with Corbin's an asshole. Yeah. Um, and, and Ohan. Ohan never speaks to Lovey that I remember. Not that I can he think of, really but he doesn't many. speak to right. many. They don't speak to many. When? Well, this is a spoiler one. Yep. He is a he now. He's now, a he now. But while he was a they. That is really, if you want to talk about free will, that's the one that kills me. Yeah. Is Corbin taking that decision from Ohan. Not yeah. a hard yes. reset on Levy. Like, that that was a necessary evil, and I was sad about it. I was, like, crying. I felt so bad for Jenks. Like, everything yeah. about that was awful. That it was so terrible because I was just like, oh, and they said it's a 50-50 chance. Like, I was really hopeful. She yeah. set it up to have Lovey back. Yeah. And then she wasn't. And, like, the way... I don't know, maybe I identify too strongly with that whole thing, having, like, lost a partner while it was with a partner, right? Like, when you're dating somebody and then they're just irrevocably gone, especially if you don't see it coming. Like, yeah. Jenks didn't wake up that morning and say, oh, the love of my life is going to be gone by the end of this day. No one ever wakes up thinking that, yeah. right? And having had that happen, having had that personal experience, like that hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I know exactly what he feels like. So that's exactly what I did. I said, fuck you to all my friends and I took off in a car. Yeah. <laughs> like, bye, can't do this. I, I yeah, cannot, does not compute, right? And like him like crying into Kizzy and like hitting the floor, all of that. But while all this is happening and while everyone's focused on Lovey and what decision she made, because she made that decision and, and Ashby said he wouldn't do it unless she understood and agreed. And he tried to talk her out of it. Yeah. Corbin is stabbing Ohan with something that Ohan has repeatedly said he does not want. Now, here's the, there's the Christian scientist who won't take donated blood. There's a Scientologist won't take donated blood either. Like there's lots a whole of different bunch of lots of different religions won't, won't take, take blood. certain or drugs or, or drugs. drugs. Yeah. yeah, like if I break my arm, I can't have it set and casted because mm -hmm. God will heal it, right? We respect those people's 
religious beliefs, when they are in a car crash and they get taken to a hospital, if they have something identifying that says no blood, no treatment, we legally have to respect that. Mm -hmm. And Ohan flat out said, no, I don't want this. I want to be we. I don't want to be me. Not actually true, though. If somebody is not in a position where they can give consent, then they will be treated medically because the doctors have an obligation to to treat injurious people. And also, was it Ohan or was it the parasitic virus? Does that matter? Yes. But if does it's, it? If but it's d- not his actual own choice, it is caused by some infestation right, in his but, brain. So if it's an infestation in the brain, though... Isn't that what they all know? Isn't that what they're they attached to? They barely know or attached to. Uh, so this is they, are, they are enough to protect him. They are enough to stand up for him. They are enough to seek this cure for him. If they're attached to him, are they really attached to Ohan? Or are they attached to the virus? So is can it also be seen as he is suicidal and this is saving him? Is he actively self-destructing? That he had, did they give him the knowledge that this could be a virus that's infecting him, that's causing him to do this? Yeah, but so I, I get both sides of it. I love the way it was handled because I got what I wanted, but I felt really bad about it because it's not what no, totally. we should have done. Absolutely, and it it's wrong. What Corbin did was wrong. But at the same time, it's it had the right outcome. It, yeah, yeah. And I hate all of that, and I love all that she that Becky Chambers put that scenario together, so we can have this discussion about ways and means and justifying the ends and, but personal choice. Absolutely. And yeah, the but, whole thing. Yeah. But mind why blowing. was our discussion board one hundred percent focused on Lovey and not on Ohan? Like if this this huge threat about free will and was love was lovey given a choice and of course in, in some aspects no she wasn't but the crew never Jake's never approached Ashby about the body he never did he never told him about it and if he had he was going off of the he felt like he was doing something wrong even though he wanted it because it's illegal mm-hmm. and he was expecting Ashby who he knows to be a fair person to also say, look, we're a tiny little ship with a tiny little crew in a big, big galaxy. And if something happens like what happened with Corbin, Ashby couldn't have protected Jenks or Lovey. Like, can you imagine if Lovey had been in a body when they were boarded mm-hmm. by the lobster doom demons? Like, that would have been awful because they would have tried to take blood and couldn't. Yeah. Or they would have brought synthetic blood and they would have known that she was an AI. Mm-hmm. So if Ashby had said no to that, that would be why. But I doubt he would have said, no, not on my ship. He would have said, no for these reasons, but of course you're free to leave if that's what you would like to do. So I can't imagine. I mean, and that's not canon. Right. But I She knew where I was going. I didn't even have to say yeah, no, it. It's not canon. It's speculation. <laughs> mm-hmm. But 90% of the thread was speculation, too. Right. So you can't say that Lovey's a slave if Lovey is unique and she's been formed by her interactions with the crew and she wasn't really given a choice like her and Jenks talked about it Jenks and Kizzy talked about it and all of the reluctance was due to fear 
of them being persecuted and Lovey being executed, mm-hmm. right? Clearly, they didn't want to do the hard reset. If they're so concerned about Lovey being discontinued for having a body, clearly they didn't want to destroy her at the end either. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's slavery. I think that that's loving someone you're unequal to, but not because you feel that you're above or you're better, but because that's the way the government feels, that's the way society feels, that's the way people feel. So I almost feel like the Pepper character is a little like a conductor on the Underground Railroad, and she's secreting Lovelace out in a body. Right, because she's also a lower Mm -hmm. case because of her tweaking, Mm -hmm. um, which she didn't ask for. If anyone's a slave in any of that, it's Pepper, because she can't go anywhere. She can't move up station in life. She can't do anything because she's this hairless, gene-tweaked freak who can't fix it and can't be anything other than she wants to be. She's literally a failed experiment. So I was just thinking that in a way that it makes perfect sense for them to continue their journey on together because they, in society, they're equal. And I did, I I love the use of AI in here, and I'll dive into this online discussion of is this galaxy, um, I don't want to call it slavery, but is there, you know, is this the society of the galaxy? And I think that it warrants further discussion. My take would be more like very, very harsh Jim Crow situation. Absolutely. But in a lot of ways, as we know from history, life under Jim Crow was not a whole lot better than slavery. In some ways, it made it worse. So the whole thing is a giant pile of shit, and now we're just trying to categorize that shit. Right. Uh, So no, nobody here is arguing that AIs are treated equally or that they are full functioning members of society, Uh, and that's not right. But uh, to go full on saying that they are slaves, I think, has... um, a lot of room for disagreement and discussion. Especially since, like, I think someone made the argument of what happens if the ship's decommissioned, right? Mm-hmm. Is the AI decommissioned with it? And I, they have the ability to pull the AI. Exactly. They can pull the AI. Um, and so I don't think that that would be the case. Um, but again, that's not canon. I can't say anything about it. Right. But what I, I didn't, I never saw Lovey as less of a member of the crew, and I don't feel that the crew's interactions with her were less than what they would interact with each other. Mm-hmm. They have casual conversations with her. Yeah. Like, not just Jenks either. Right. Like, Rosemary has a couple casual conversations with Lovey. It's not always, hey, I need this. But at the same token, if Sissix is piloting the ship, and Ashby has a question about piloting the ship, he asks Sissex about it while she's working, about her job. Lovey's job is the ship. It's keeping it together. It's making sure that everything's functioning and whatnot. So when they ask her, hey, Lovey, where's this person? Where's that? Is this functioning? That's her job right. as a crew member. And it's unfortunate that she doesn't get time off or get to go to spaceports, but that's also just the nature of where she is. And I'm not saying that's right. right. She should be able to have a body so that she, when the ship's in port, she can get out and buy expensive, stupid soap from... <laughs> from Cthulhu. Uh, tentacle pills, yes. Um, uh, just as much as anyone else. And that she can't sucks. But it's also... I, yeah, I... Like, people were like really upset about Lovey in general, and I wasn't. I wasn't upset. I actually didn't even think about it. And I'm 
you guys have seen me get on my high horse and my soapbox before. You know that I'm really prejudiced of, in the way of like, this is it. This is not right. <laughs> yeah. Fix it. I don't like it. I the, the our entire right. two, two books before this was me being on a soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> I think our our audience is secure in that that we they they are aware. But it didn't it didn't bother me. Yeah, I'm. I just I feel like my own personal views on uh, sentience was expressed through the book that that this was brought up through uh, Ashby's change that you know we need to address AI as its own sentient entity yeah and I'm not the weirdo. I'm <laughs> for uh, saying thank you to my microwave. <laughs> Maybe your microwave isn't sentient. It's not, but it's. I'm also not having a conversation with it. A simple what? thank you for doing a job. I mean, you might be having a conversation with it. I've seen you have a conversation with Weirder. You did talk to Slarty for like 20 minutes before this. You podcast. said you wouldn't say anything. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, I, I. Yeah, things online get pretty heated, uh, but. I'm not I'm not convinced from what is in the book that this that Lovelace Lovey was treated inappropriately especially during her medical emergency that she went into all of it uh fully consenting mm-hmm. that it was her choice for her medical decision that sometimes you got to pull the plug and do a hard restart and you know that happens you know what? It was kind of like, um, it was like, a, I viewed it as like a pregnant woman having a heart attack, mm-hmm. right? So here's this person, she's her own person, and she's dying, and you need to do everything you can, and you can't save her, and you didn't save her, but you saved her baby, who looks like, exactly like her, but isn't her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what the crew had to kind of deal with. Yeah. Um, now, plot points? The Taremi. Huh. <laughs> so okay, so because we didn't talk about this in the mm-hmm. in the first episode, so basically they're flying through, they're punching holes, everything's good. They get Rosemary, they go to a couple spaceports, they have a good time, and I guess the guy that uh, Ashby works for calls and says, "Hey, keep an eye out for these higher paying jobs because some things are going to happen." And he, sure enough, he sees them to punch a hole from Taremi Space into the Galactic Commons um, because they're going to join the Galactic Commons but only this one tribe or Mm -hmm. grouping um, Mm -hmm. is going to join because they're you know divided Mm -hmm. so they take the contract and they're going 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 and like 80% of this book is them just flying through space for a standard Um, and what is a standard? exactly I don't know what is smash I want to smoke some of that. It sounds like a oh great time. I don't care. I want to know what a standard is. I even did tweet the author and have not had a response. I want to know what a standard is. It's in, in not Earth in terms? the book. Yes. They use Earth terms in other parts of the book. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. um, because uh, Rosemary talks about it, but never does it mention what actually one standard is. And I'm like, is it did you one check? year, ten year, five I did. I, I I pulled up, I did search terms, I looked for everything, and I could not find anywhere in the book where it tells you what it is. And it frustrated me because I'm like, it does it. I can't understand. I know it's a long time, 
But what is a long I plugged time? it in my brain as a year. Yeah, but then there were other things which made me think it was much longer. So, my, so the uh, I so in my brain I said a year, give or take. Because if it's, I think it also gave her a little bit of wiggle room that yeah. she didn't have to define a standard. That it was just a standard. Yeah, so you know it's really a long bad. amount of time. It's really bad that she didn't answer him how long the standard is. Look at him. Oh. <laughs> Why? All right. Um, um, okay, so the, so they they take the contract. They're flying to Teremi space. They get to Teremi space, and that's really the first time we ever encounter a Teremi. Right? It's like as they're getting there, we get this grumpy little fucker in a garden who's supposed to be eating, but he's not, and this bitch, and they get into a fight, and somehow that means that everything gonna get fucked up. Ha, I don't. Mm. Well, um, they're a warlike race that believes that all in the entire race have to agree on ideas in order for there to be harmony. So I really liked that there was a dissident, that this guy was starting to have his own ideas and he disagreed with the group, uh, with the collective, if you will, but they're not collected. So with the group. And so now he's, he's having this existential crisis of, oh God, I don't agree. I I am divergent. So I, I, I really liked that guy. And so, yeah, sure, now everything's getting shot to shit. But that's... I, I see that. I can see that in our own world of different cultures clashing and trying to come to con- some kind of global consensus on something. And there is just too much shit happening within the borders of a certain culture or society or country. And, okay, we're going to let them figure them out first yeah. before that family gets reinvited to the block party. <laughs> no, totally. I uh, I don't know. I felt very strongly that they need to go the way of the Grom. Just get out. Just kill yourselves off. It's going to be fine. We'll come back when there's only 300 of you left and you've realized what a fool you look like. <laughs> like, Or they can settle their shit down. Then maybe there's room for Evolution. different shades of blue within their blue mindset, but they're like allow for slight variations on thought. What about the argument that humans should have been extinct? What about it? Like, what did you think about that? Like, humans weren't, shouldn't be accepted into the galactic commons. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, because they didn't, they didn't earn it. Luck. Because they didn't totally earn it. Totally by luck. Yeah. Um, I liked that. I liked that that, that, sure. So we got in by luck. There you go. We've also contributed to the society. So. But this was, this, this was Rosemary reading hearings for accepting them. Oh, yeah. Oh, I liked that argument that, that we didn't earn it. It was entirely by luck. I liked that there was that dissenting voice in there because it is completely valid. Yeah, you're right. Um, and then uh, at, towards the end, um, Ashby's Aliwan girlfriend. Pay. 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 Now we want pie. <laughs> <laughs> Pudding! <laughs> Squirrel! <laughs> um... Pay is when she comes aboard the Wayfair, she's like very anxious about being there with Ashby. And by the time they leave, she's like, Okay, I'm doing it again. I'm gonna come back. Mm-hmm. You know. Well that's what some good sex will do for you. Yeah, but and, and that's the other thing that they talk is is interspecial sex. Oh my it's goodness, like I wanna know. Pa, 
but it's happening all over this book. Everybody's just fucking everybody. Um, and my favorite part, speaking of interspecial sex, it's not interspecial, it's same species sex, but when they're on the Andrus planet mm-hmm. and she's watching the grandma and the grandpa get it on and mm-hmm. she's like, and I finally knew what was in the slit between male ali- or Andrus's legs and all I could think of was like lizard tongues <laughs> and well, the way they come out of slit mouths. Um, like uh, snake penises. No, I've never seen a snake penis. YouTube to check that shit out because that's what I thought of. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. Slarty. Of course you do. I, You're like a I was thinking more crocodiles, but yes. Of course oh, you yeah. are. Oh, <laughs> you yeah, I have seen a crocodile penis. <laughs> wow. One got frisky with Steve Irwin once on the channel. God bless that man. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that, that was the other thing that I wanted to know because they mentioned the Anderisk dick, but they didn't mention the lady parts. And I wondered when Sizzix is walking around in the all together, what, what do her bits look like? Is she smooth everywhere? Because yeah, a I'm lot of these. I'm sure that it's probably just like a little hole or a slit, mm-hmm. just like in it. But okay, but here's my thing Andrus lesbian sex. Right! They have claws. Right? They have claws. Right. Have, but they also have long lizard tongues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, and who straps it on in that relationship? She has a tail, too. You missed the tail. Yeah, I was intentionally missing the tail. Because the tail drags on the ground, and I don't want that anywhere. Never. What if tail washing right, was a um, part of it? So, what did you potentially get? Before we get really weird uh, slash fiction here. Slarty, keeping it clean. It was already dirty. (laughs) Uh, Was there anything you didn't like? About this book? There was definitely something I didn't like, and that was, I felt in parts it was too episodic. There were some interesting things that came up, and I'm like, where's it going, where's it going? It's gone. (laughs) That planet could have been really cool if we knew more what they did there. Like cricket? It's gone. (laughs) Or the whole Corbin and and Sissix thing. Oh, I wanted more of that. That whole section, I felt was really bad. Like... (laughs) Like, he's a clone. He's gonna have all this stuff. Oh, and then we're just gonna. She's just gonna find some paperwork, and it's gonna be good. She's just stuck with him. For oh, that seven of, standards. But that but, to me, it was I, so powerful. But I felt that there was something more. It just kind of like somebody. Who I was expecting it to you. be like a huge problem and like this huge thing come from it. But it was like, in the end, these people are so against cloning, and it's like, oh, okay, that just moved on. And I get. I, I know it came back in the end of the book. But it just felt really half-hearted by that point of like, oh, it's Corbin. He's a member of the crew. Of course, he's gonna be with them for X amount of t- for a long time. But I just felt there could have been so much more around that. I, it just kind of felt flat to me that I felt like she'd written herself into a corner, and then just kind of, and then they just left. No, I, I really, really liked that because here was like in your face racism, speciesism, however you want to put it, hatred, blind hatred of a white, privileged, cis, whatever, male to an Anderisk female, and she put it all aside and said it's still not right. Now that he's getting a taste of what it's like to not be considered, you know, you know the average or the accepted, she did not rub it in his face. She took the high road, and she she rode in and rescued him. 
on a technicality. She didn't have to do it. She had every out and nobody would have blamed her. And he could have gotten the shit beat out of him for as long as his piddly little life lasted. And By blue lobster demons. Yeah. Red budding lobster demons. Right? I mean, that had to have felt so good to her on some level. So validating and vi- like, yeah, I would have been... All right, should yeah, beat the shit out of him. Discussed it further? Like, should we have heard more from Sissy's point of view? Because that was She it. It was like, demanded that they get something to clothe him. I know. And it came from, like, for me, it was almost biblical. <gasps> yeah. Uh, because, like, she, a person who doesn't understand clothing and hates it and has to wear it as a... She understood him yeah. that he is holding himself to cover himself because in the midst of this, she is recognizing his humiliation. Yeah. This is a man that she would that who humiliated her, that she would love to watch drag through the mud, and yet right there in front of her, she ordered him to be clothed. That was beautiful. That he didn't deserve it, and she knew it. But he deserved dignity. Because everybody deserves dignity, even if they're assholes. The only other thing that I could really say about this book, I mean, I loved it, clearly, but is I want to know more about the Hermogians. Because they talk about the Hermogians several times about how they were like this like brutal fucking force in the galaxy and they just took everything over. Mm-hmm. Like, came and Roman empired up the galaxy with their <laughs> chinticles. Um, and like all kinds of crazy talk, but now they're just like, yeah, it's cool. We conquered you, but it's fine. Let's be partners. Fuck that. What did the Romans say? They said, hell no. <laughs> right? I feel like that's what the Hermogians would have said, but it would have been like, oh no. <laughs> you miss all the fingery hand gestured hand on the chin Cthulhuism that we're doing. <laughs> when we're doing this. No, but I, I feel like. Like, that would never have actually happened. That was the really... The only part that I was like, I mean, like, yeah, space travel, totally plausible. Punching holes in space, totally plausible. Lesbian sex with claws, totally plausible. (laughs) But this one thing, (laughs) fuck that thing. And it was the the peaceful coexistence of Hermogians and everybody else, even though they had been this, like, conquering force in the galaxy. All right, Becky, I hope you're listening because that's our big question. Mm-hmm. I need the Hermogian history, please. If you could <laughs> send that to me, that'd be great. So here's the big question. Will you read the next book? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're even, already... though, even though it's not the same crew, the, the only characters who have moved across is Lovelace, not Lovey, Lovelace, the mm-hmm. new um, fresh baby. install. Mm-hmm. And Peppa, who mm-hmm. we've only had a tiny little bit. We had a little bit of her, but we didn't get too mm-hmm. much. I want more Pepper. I totally want more Pepper. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if Jenks was ever going to fuck a real person, it'd be Pepper. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right, yeah. So, um, I yeah, I'm glad that we this generated all of the discussion online because communication is key. That's what it's all about. We should, I guess, talk about next month's books, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. Indeed. Well, so mad. The podcast at the end of the universe doesn't get our restaurant. We're very upset. Maybe not yet, but maybe maybe at some point it will. You can't happen. stop me from reading it on my own. We can't. The, the people have decided, and I can see One exactly why. extra person. It was one. Sarah, I'm blaming you. <laughs> I'm very upset. 
upset, so I'm very salty. I, I can understand why. I think it's... I beg. I'm expecting that most of our audience, if not all of you, if not all of you have to go do it now, have already read it multiple times. And so I can understand that. Sarah said she hadn't read it, and she still voted for Caliban. Yeah, we don't sad. count some people. <laughs> I can understand people wanting to read something they may not have read. I just um, think at some I point, understand. the podcast at the end of the universe we should read and review the restaurant at the end of the universe. Yeah, which, by the way, is named Millie Ways. That will make you do mostly <laughs> harmless as well. I love mostly harmless. Let's read the whole that damn thing. That was the thing. Host book. Sorry, oh, hang I on. That. Sorry, not mostly harmless. Sorry. And another thing. Oh. Yeah, there we go. That's sorry. I had to, um, my I'll name still read stuff. it. Did you hear, by the way, side note, that they're making, um, on this time stream, they're making a mini-series of Dirk Gently? Yes. So the second and time. yes. This yeah, is the yeah. second yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, but, um, I mean... I like the first one. Stephen Mangan was I, a really good Dirk Gently. I was also thinking, who are the characters that, who are portraying... Elijah Wood? Yes. Elijah Wood. Yes. And that's what and I yes, hated. That's what I was... Because th- I He's saw his British. face in my head. Neither are you. <laughs> so, Dirk Gently is British. And Stephen Mangan did a really good uh, portrayal. Um... So I'm as Caucasian people being portrayed by other Caucasian people. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> that doesn't make it. Good. That doesn't make it better. That's emphasizing the point. When, when there are when there is when there's a massive, man playing a trans woman. When there is right. just massive whitewashing. Yeah. Of so we're, we're getting close Hollywood. to the end of our portal. Shut here. up, Slarty. <laughs> Next I love time you. we come back, we will be talking about Horn of Prophecy by David Eddings and Caliban's War <laughs> by James S. A. Corey. And, and we will we will do it with a straight face and not sarcastically at all. Yes, that I We'll do it well, enthusiastically. I'm looking forward to it. I'm enthusiastically salty. I'll still read it though. And we will see you next time. Bye! Thanks guys, bye!